Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Broken Banquet, a podcast about missions. We are your hosts, Will Bailey and Dr. Ashley Goad, and we are so glad that you have joined us for another conversation about the church and missions, about what healthy mission relationships can look like, and as we hear from others who have dedicated their lives in one way or another to mission work. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy this episode. See, now I can sit back, though. This is good. We're good. That's good. I'm so glad. Yeah. Hey, how was your trip, Ashley? My trip was so good, Will. It was so good to spend time with Jeremy and Tamara. And their kids, their four kids, it was like a big cuddle fest, just being together. Balm for the soul, Will. Balm for the soul. Uh, it sounds great. Yeah. We've been in the big, you know, rabbit race around here in the in the church. <laughs> it's not rabbit race, is it? It's not, something else. Not to be confused with the rat race. It's rat the race. rabbit race. We've yeah. been in the rat race here at the church. And uh, it's kind of like throwing the towel in the bag. <laughs> I just yeah. like it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. When the rabbit race gets to be just a little too much for you, you might feel like you need to throw the towel in the bag and just give me a call. We'll talk through it. (laughs) My colloquialisms, they, uh, they're always (laughs) on target, always on target. Yeah. It would not be the broken banquet without mixed metaphors. (laughs) How you doing, Will? What have you been up to? I'm good. I'm good. I've got a feeling today's episode, we're really going to hit the nail on the target. So, um, (laughs) We're good. We're good. Um, we're busy. We've just started a new uh, a new project. Um, there's a church about 45 minutes away from here that five years ago started as a house church in somebody's living room, and they've grown to the point where now they've got about 80 people coming to worship uh, every Sunday, and they had been renting a space for a while in the community that they're in, and were able to purchase some land and reached out to us to see if we could partner with them to help build a a proper worship space. So we broke ground two weeks ago on uh, a new sanctuary that'll have room for about 300 people in it. So um, we're excited. They're excited. We've had two teams work there so far, and and they've been really uh, excited about the work, but also just about the people from the community that they're getting to know who have come to be a part of it and show their appreciation and just share the last thing the team that's there today did was they had communion with the pastor and some of the local church members right there, just under a tree at the work site, which that's it right there. That's what it's all about. So that's beautiful. Yeah, it's good. I can't wait to come down in there and work there myself. I saw the pictures that you posted. It was so nice. Mm -hmm. And, um, the pictures of the team praying with the, with the church leaders, uh, just yeah. Warmed my soul. Yeah, it's a good it's a good project. We're really thankful when people like this church reach out to us and and we can partner together. So it's good. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, this episode, if I'm not mistaken, is going to air on February 13th. And on February 13th, I will be on an airplane headed east for Tel Aviv, Israel. Yeah. And two days after that, I will be on an airplane headed east to Tel Aviv. Uh, Yeah, uh, this is a little out of the ordinary um, for the Broken Banquet. We're not interviewing anybody today. We're just going to have a little conversation about 
I think we both realized how important these trips to the Holy Land are and just thought we would sort of share some of our thoughts about that, what our experiences have been so far and and what we're hopeful for for, for these trips that are coming up. So, um, yeah. Well, because I'm awesome, I created a least, at least a top five questions to ask. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Question number one: we, we have to answer all of these together. So okay. not just you. I'm not just interviewing you, but but we're right. interviewing each other. Okay. okay. So what so is talking, these are talking points more than like straight up questions? No, or are they questions? questions? They're questions. Okay, fine. Yeah. Okay, all right. Okay. Go. <laughs> all right. Well, question number one. If you're ready, can we stop for a second? Because just that right there reminded me of something. I was listening back to one of our interviews recently while I was editing it. And, and I realized that if people, since people can't see the two of us, there was this one little interchange between you and I, and it might have sounded like I was really angry at you. Oh. And, and if, if they could see us, they would very clearly see that we were both sort of amused at the situation. But I realized that without the visual part, I mean, it's, it's kind of sounded like Will was fighting with Ashley. And so I just want to say, I don't know when that episode is. It may have already aired. It may be one that airs after this one. But folks, just everyone out there in podcast land that might have been concerned, Ashley and I are really good friends. We don't <laughs> fight with one another. Um, and there, we, we have the most respect for one another. So if the tone of, of our conversation sometimes doesn't, uh, reflect that, just know that we really uh, do love one another very much and we don't fight with one another. And it's maybe, uh, it's a shame that you can't actually see how much fun we're having doing this. Absolutely. Will. there is no one I love more on earth than other, maybe my, my dog and my, my husband, you know those kinds yeah, of that, people. I know. It's a long list. It's okay. As long <laughs> as I'm on there somewhere. Um, so, so now that we've got that out of the way, Thank you. God, get to your list, Ashley. <laughs> Here we go. Number one, what is the place that has most stuck in your heart in the Holy Land? Mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, there's going to be a lot of long pauses that we're going to be able to, I'll edit out of this one. Um, yeah, that's okay. The place that has most... While you're thinking, I'm going to tell you this, that there's a new donut place that just opened up downtown. And so on my way back from lunch, Stephen and Matthew and I stopped in the donut place uh -huh. and they had Nutella donuts. Will, my heart is just so full right now. I love you. I love our podcast. I love this donut. <laughs> I love my husband. There is so much goodness wow. just seeping from me because of this day that I'm having. Okay. What is next your most time you go in there? Next time you go in there, tell them I said thanks. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's an easy question to answer when I think about my first trip, which I've been twice. I'm getting ready to go for the third time. And I can remember clearly the day that we went to Capernaum, sitting at the edge of the Sea of Galilee, um, sort of by myself. And just looking out over that body of water and, and the thought that, keep, that kept coming to my mind was, this is real. This is really real, you know? And it's not because I've, you know, I doubted the stories of the Bible, but just to be there mm -hmm. and, and to see it and, and hear it and smell it and all of that other stuff was just, it was pretty overwhelming. Um, I'm not a super emotional guy, but that was a very emotional experience just sitting there on a rock at the edge of the Sea of Galilee. 
Um, so that that's one that comes to mind pretty quickly. Yeah. Mm. How about you? Well, I was going to say Capernaum, but since you said it, I'm going to go a different direction now. Um, the edge of the sea, and you can help me with names because I don't remember names well, but where Peter uh, was restored, where Jesus was cooking him lunch, was it the Church of mm-hmm. the Primacy? Yeah, that's the Church of the Primacy of Peter. Yes. So yeah, also at the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Also at the edge of the spot. Sea of Galilee. Right. So edge of the Sea of the Galilee. And I think that was the one place I had just, this was on my second trip. I had just preached a sermon right before my second trip to Israel and going to the Sea of Galilee right there where Peter would have been restored. I thought back to that sermon because I had made a correlation between Peter standing at the charcoal fire um, during the denials of Jesus to then Peter standing in front of this charcoal fire where Jesus was cooking him breakfast and getting ready to restore him. And I made the the correlation that for Peter, shame had a smell. Mm-hmm. And that smell was charcoal. So as he was standing at that charcoal fire, denying Jesus, that stuck in his brain, smells one of those big senses that we have that we remember things with. And now he's getting off the boat. He smells that charcoal again, and now he can associate it with restoration and how much his Messiah loves him and how he will be the one that the rock will be built, his church will be built on Peter. Um, So standing on that Sea of Galilee, thinking about charcoal having a smell uh, and charcoal being the smell of shame um, and then charcoal being the smell of restoration. I just sat there and took deep breaths in and tried to imagine myself knowing how shameful I can be, but then being restored by Christ. And so that's been one of the things that have stuck in my heart. That's really good, Ashley. I'm going to totally steal that when I'm there in a few weeks. I'm like, hey, group, gather around. I've got some (laughs) thoughts I'd like to share with you about this place. Would you please? (laughs) Would you please? No, that's, that's great. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting that for both of us from that very first trip, one one of the things that meant to most to us was being right there at the edge of the Sea of Galilee. And I wonder how much of that has to do with so many of the things that we see when we're there. It's you know it's rubble, um, it's things that were torn down and rebuilt, or it's um, a, a church that's been on built. It's been built on top of a spot where we think something happens, but I mean, the Sea of Galilee is the Sea of Galilee. Like it's, it's what it is. And it has been that for all these years. So it's one of the places where, you know, it's pretty easy to say, well, this is where that happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if that, that helps it mean more eh. anyway. Hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. Question two, question two, here we go. What place haven't you seen that you can't wait to see? Are you going anywhere new? We are not going anywhere new this time. Everywhere that is on my itinerary for this trip, I've been to either on my first trip or my second trip. So we're not going anywhere new this time. There is one place that I hope they're going to let us go that we're supposed to go to, which is Jacob's Well in Nablus. But that's one of those conditions permitting. So we'll just know when we get up that morning if it's a good idea for us to go or not. So I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that we'll get to go and share that with everybody. 
but we don't have anywhere new on our itinerary this year. What are you doing new this year? We are going to Engedi. And mm-hmm. Engedi is traditionally the place where David was hiding from King Saul. Mm-hmm. And King Saul came to find him and he David snatched, cut away the the, the little triangle of his coat, uh, his mm-hmm. cloak. And uh, it's also a place where John the Baptist may have been hanging out and living. So uh, I hear it's just a beautiful oasis and I've been wanting to go. So I made sure that the day we're heading down to Qumran and Masada, we're going to stop by and Getty on the way. So very excited to see a little oasis in the midst of the desert. Yeah. Let me know how that is. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. Add that to my next one. Well, I saw Ray Vanderlaan, who's one of my favorite like teachers uh, that we do Bible studies here at the church with. Um, he One of his videos was at Engedi, and I was like, oh, we have to go there. We have to go there. So I hope it'll live up to it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All right. Why? Okay, so this is your third trip. Why are you looking forward to trip three? Several reasons. One, because my wife is going with me this time, and I cannot wait to expose her to it, but also watch her experience it. It's just going to be so exciting to to see her feel all the things that she's going to feel. So super excited about that. We've been preparing for it for a long time and we've been reading things together and sort of studying to, to get ready for the trip. So that's going to be awesome. But, but just to go back, I mean, I decided after that second trip, I will go as often as I can go because there's just something about it that it got me. And so I, I mean, unless I, for some reason, stop being this excited about going, I intend to continue to go. So I'm excited just to be going back. The first time I went, I thought that was probably the only time I would ever go. I never imagined that that I would be able to go more than once. So yeah, I'm super excited and oh my gosh, I just can't wait to see it through Yolanda's eyes. And we're also, we've invited a pastor from Costa Rica to go along with us. So actually, and he's like family. So actually to get to go with both of them and and watch the two of them, just, I just can't wait. I can't wait. That'll be exciting. I can't wait to run into you while we're there so I can see how excited Yolanda is. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do love seeing it through the eyes of those who have not been. So um, why am I looking forward to trip number three? Simply because of the group we have going from here at the church. I love to be able to, to see how the relationships come together and how the deepening of faith comes together in the midst of a faith family. So I'm, I'm excited for our church members to be going on this trip so that they can bond together and bond where they are, um, grow in their discipleship. And and I'm also excited because, again, so many of our global mission partners are going to be coming along with us. Mm-hmm. So we'll see you. But we have Olga and Igor for Russia and uh, Stefania Dragos from Romania, Jessica in Czech Republic, Nate from New Zealand, and John uh, Woodward. So our favorite co-host will be there too. Yeah. So it'll be like a yeah. mini reunion. Yeah, broken banquet reunion in the Holy Land. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. What else we got? Uh, What surprised you about the Holy Land, Will? The first time, the crowds. Mm, I did did embarrassingly little 
research before the first trip. So there was a lot about it that surprised me, but just I think how, how many other people <laughs> had also decided they wanted to go to the Holy Land. Um, yeah. Shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. I think the proximity of everything was a big eye opener and realizing just how, how small the area where everything that happened in Jesus' life in Jesus's life happened, um, which that was really interesting and sort of changes the way you read those stories when you realize how close everything was and, you know, that you could walk from Nazareth to Jerusalem in six days on the long road and three on the short road. Um, when you realize that when they're standing on the Mount of Olives and he's praying for Jerusalem, it's like right there at the bottom of the hill, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that sort of, it just gives you a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, so those things, that was a, a surprise. Um, and then the, I guess the, just the, the reality of daily life, um, in that part of the world right now, um, was surprising just how visible the, the divisions and the tension and that kind of stuff is. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't really prepared for that. So yeah, those were three pretty big surprises. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree too. Um, I was surprised, I think, by our guide just saying, well, if he didn't stand here, then it was probably right about here. Um, so the proximity of, of how close they could come to Jesus actually did stand here. And the emotion that I had when standing in Capernaum and standing in the teaching steps where they can say, without a doubt, 100%, Jesus stood right here. And I wasn't, ex I was not expecting the emotion that came over me in those moments to feel that connected to, to Jesus. So, um, mm -hmm. of course, being in the land of where he was born, where he was teaching and all of this, it was, it was beautiful. But then to actually stand where he stood, oh, it just overcame me. It still brings tears to my eyes when I think about it. And when I went on that second trip, it brought tears to my eyes again, just mm -hmm. standing in those places. Um, yeah. I'm so glad that we do the teaching steps towards the end because mm -hmm. you've, you know, you've had so many days of seeing things where, you know, tradition says that maybe this is where something happened or in this general vicinity. This And for some people, that's a real disappointment. Like they think they're going to see a bunch of places where Jesus like signed his name on the wall. <laughs> yeah. And so once you realize that that's not accurate and, you know, people who want to go and walk where Jesus walked, well, those streets have either been destroyed or buried, you know, multiple times by now, but that there are these couple of places where it's pretty daggone certain that he stood on this spot. That's, it's, it's nice to have sort of that reward at the end of, of the trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Teaching steps is a highlight for me for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what else was a highlight for me? And maybe we'll get down to this uh, in another point, but you and I went on a special field trip last year with Jonathan Beck and with Michael Parisher. And we decided that we would go to a place called Razook's Tattoos. And mm -hmm. Razook uh, is a family that came from Egypt. They're Coptic Christians, and they were tattooers there and opened up a tattoo parlor in Old City, Jerusalem. And their family tattooing business dates back 800 years. So we decided to go get our Holy Land pilgrimage tattoos at this tattoo parlor that had been around for 800 years. I think it's the 
28th generation of this one family that they started out tattooing the Coptic Christians in Egypt, which was like their ID card in order to be able to get into worship spaces. That was the only way because of the tension between uh, the Christians and, and the Muslims there. It was dangerous. And so that was how you proved that you were what you said you were was by having a you know cross or something tattooed on you. And then I think five or six hundred years ago, they moved. This family moved to Jerusalem and started tattooing pilgrims. And to me, it sort of relates to one of the reasons why being able to go means so much to me. It's not just about the places that we visit and the the feels that that gives us, but it's about being a part of that story of Christian pilgrimage. And knowing that for 2,000 years almost, believers from all over the world have been making the effort to go, not because you're closer to God when you're there, but just to go and to experience that journey, whatever it means to you personally, for us now in 2023, to be a part of that story and a part of that number um, of people who have done that to me, that's, that's special. And, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely wanted to, to figure out a, um, you know, a way to sort of commemorate that. And so, yeah, it's with me for the rest of my life now, uh, this Jerusalem cross on my back. And, uh, I'm glad that you went with me and went first. That was the that was the best part of it. You, me, and uh, three fellows going in there, and everybody was kind of like, "Well, maybe you go. Well, maybe you go. No, just let me go, guys. I'll show you the way." Yep, fearless leader. (laughs) Now, will you be getting uh, an addition this this go round? So yeah, I got. So when I got my cross, I also got the Roman numerals for the two years that I have done my pilgrimages to the Holy Land. And so my intention is to continue to add Roman numerals every time I go back, just sort of as a kind of like getting your visa stamped in your passport. Um, That's sort of what these will be for me. So yes, we have an appointment. Awesome. Do you think Yolanda will go? She is thinking about it. Okay. Yeah, it's it's tricky for us. Um, If you think about the stigmas that tattoos I mean, still have in the U.S., but think about that 20 years ago and what that was like. And imagine, you know, someone serving in the church having visible tattoos 20 years ago. That's kind of where Costa Rica is now. And Mm -hmm. so obviously mine is in a place that it's very easy for no one to know I have it except, you know, someone who I guess sees me at the beach or is listening to this podcast. But other than that, you know, I can be in front of the church. I can be in front of the youth group and not confuse anybody. Mm -hmm. Yolanda is considering something that would be a little more visible. Um, It's she's, she was going to get the word redeemed um, across her forehead. And I think I've talked her, I've talked her out of that one, but um, you know, yours are small and discreet on your wrist and that's sort of what she would like to do. But the struggle is that it's going to be harder for her to, to cover that when we're in situations where it might confuse people. So, you know what, you can debate whether they're right or wrong or whatever until the, you know, the, 
the horses come home or until you're green in the face or whatever mixed metaphor you want to use there. But we'll see. Okay. A watch band hides, uh, hides yeah. this really well. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Are you finally going to get Jesus on the cross tattooed on your whole back? <laughs> I, you know, I've been going back and forth about it. Uh, maybe only as long as it has like bright, bright colors with it too. So sure. I don't know. I don't know. I do, you know, I, I have this whole, uh, this duo on my wrist and the other side is looking like it could use something to even mm-hmm. it all out. And that would be the trifecta of it all. Um, the trinity of tattoos, if you will. Indeed. indeed yes. So, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know what it would be. You know, Mino is such a, that's the word that's closest to my heart. And, but Mino in Greek is Mino. Like it, it's not really fun, cool characters or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. just Mino. Um, so I don't know. I haven't decided yet. It might be a game time decision like it was when I was with you. So, right. Yeah. Right. Well, if you need a nudge, let me know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Top five sites. But to give an explanation for each one or just yeah. name them? Just name okay. them. Okay. Top five. Capernaum, Teaching Steps, Jacob's Well, mm-hmm. Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Mm, interesting. What would be the fifth? You know, the new, the the ruins of the temple that they've uncovered in, Mag- in Magdala is pretty cool with that pedestal that they found that like really likely could be where Jesus unrolled scrolls and taught. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's your five? Sure. All right. Uh, I was writing mine down, so I didn't. Okay. All right. So mine are a little bit different. Capernaum. Capernaum. Because mm-hmm. Capernaum. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's just so, it's the highlight. It is where Jesus was home-based for three years. Peter lived there. Andrew taught in the temple, standing on holy ground, Sea of Galilee right there. Holy cow. It's just amazing. So yeah, Capernaum. Number two was Magdala. So thanks for stealing that one from me. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe mine for a different reason than yours. So the Catholic church has built these beautiful churches just about at every site or Orthodox churches have built uh, churches at, at these sites to preserve the sites. Beautiful things. The one at Magdala, the chapel at Magdala, it has seven pillars inside, and six of the pillars has a female, a biblical female, um, that was a disciple of Christ or somebody that we can look to for her teaching. The seventh pillar is blank so that you can put yourself in that place because Jesus has also called you and asked you to go out and to spread the word. I loved Magnola. I can't wait to go back there. Okay. Number three, Jacob's Well. Jacob's Well. Have to love Jacob's Well. The woman at the well. I see you, Sawabona. Of course, that's it. Uh, Number four would be the garden tomb. So this is the alternate site of where Jesus was unlikely buried, but maybe he was. (laughs) But I love, I love being in the simplicity of that area. Um, To go into the tomb, yes, and we always celebrate a communion service there. And it's Mm -hmm. just this beautiful, peaceful time to end a trip, to bring it all together, and to know that this is something that connects you to Jesus, something that connects you with the people in your group, and something that connects you with the people of the world. We all come to the table at the the garden tomb. 
And then my final place that I do love uh, is coming down the Palm Sunday Road through the Mount of Olives, and you stop at the Russian Orthodox Church, which is called the... Dominus Flevit. Thank you. And there is an overlook that overlooks the um, the valley, mm-hmm. and you look over into Jerusalem, and you think about Jesus standing there and Jesus weeping, knowing mm-hmm. what's coming, and the magnitude of how he much felt, must have felt. And then to be able to see the ground that he covered in that last week of his life and the exhaustion he must have felt. So I mm-hmm. love at that site, standing there with him um, and knowing that he had been there overlooking what his last week would have mm-hmm. been like. Yeah, I remember the devotion, the devotional that you led when we were there the last time that was really, really good. The way you sort of brought it all home. Um, before we went into the city and started seeing the things in the city, but then just sort of before that, looking out over it and putting that into context was really powerful. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. All right. Those were my uh, five questions. Uh, Will, what else you got? Well, I've been thinking, knowing that we were going to do this episode and just sort of, just sort of thinking for myself about why this, why this trip means so much to me and and how different I feel about it now than I did uh, the first time that I went. And uh, there's sort of, there's two things that I've kind of boiled it down to maybe. And the first one I mentioned earlier, the whole just being part of that history and knowing that, like, I think a lot about the word sacred. What does it mean for a place to be a sacred place. Does this have to have been the spot where X, Y, or Z actually happened for it to be sacred? Or can the fact that for 2000 years, people have been coming to this spot to remember that event, is that enough to make it, make it sacred? And, and I, for me personally, kind of what I've, the point I've come to is that it is, that story is so deep and so long and has mattered so much to so many people that that is enough to make it sacred. And so I love being able to be in those spaces and, and like I said, be a part of that story. Um, But the other thing I was thinking about I think I mentioned this in a a previous episode was how different my first and second experiences were, especially in regards to Jerusalem. Um, I really did not like the Jerusalem part of our trip the first time I went, mostly because I hadn't prepared myself. And so I just didn't know what to make of it. And, And one of the things in particular that I was troubled by was going into these big churches kind of cathedrals, um, and seeing all of just all this stuff, this mm-hmm. is how I was interpreting it at the time. Like all, just all this stuff. There's gold stuff and silver stuff and icons and just stuff everywhere. And, and to me, it sort of looked like this is just kind of ostentatious for ostentatiousness' sake. Like they're just sort of they're bragging about their gold and silver, and I didn't I didn't like that very much. Fortunately. After that trip, when I was preparing for the second one and, and reading as much stuff as I could and, and studying as much as I could, one of the things that I learned was how in the, the time period when a lot of those churches and cathedrals were built, the world was gray. 
right? Everything was just gray and dirty and, you know, it was uh, polluted and they didn't have the kinds of sanitation that we have and all that kind of stuff. So it was just gray. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so when they built these worship spaces, these sacred spaces, um, you know, you come into it and there's light from outside reflecting off of all of this gold and silver. And so it's just bright, shimmering light everywhere you turn. And, you know, the smells outside are pretty unpleasant, but you come inside and there's this incense burning. And so it's this very pleasant smell. And and then the, the seeing the the smoke of the candles and the incense kind of wafting upwards towards the heavens, sort of like you know we hope our prayers do. The sound, the acoustics in these buildings, um, hearing the people singing and chanting, and and the way that those voices would reverberate and bounce back and forth and sort of swirl around, and all of that stuff was intentional. You know, they did that on purpose so that as you went from the outside world where everything's gray and gross and dirty into this sacred space, your senses are involved in this spiritual experience that takes you into the heavenly. And that I just thought was amazing. You know, and I don't know how to make an, a, if you sort of can draw a direct line between that and, and I'm sure there are things that we do in modern worship, you know, in 2023, 2023 that try and sort of accomplish the same things. But I think the fact that the very design of these buildings was meant to transport you, you know, if you, the Church of All Nations, which is the one at the Garden of Gethsemane, that the whole mm-hmm. ceiling inside this church is painted like the starry night with the same constellations that would have been visible the night yeah. Jesus fled into the garden to pray. Like it was meant to transport you somewhere else. And so I love that now. Like I just think that's fascinating. And, and it's one of the reasons why I, I love now the Jerusalem portion of these trips is to get mm-hmm. to go into those spaces and to think about how much that matters, you know? I mean, yes, you can sit anywhere and close your eyes and have a beautiful moment with with God. Um, And there's great value in that. But I think there's also great value in being in a space that was constructed for that very thing. So it just totally redeemed it for me. But it was just because I, you know, I took the time to learn. Mind blown. I did not know this. Like, no, really? I'm not, I'm like I didn't they're nodding because you were like, Will, why are everybody knows this? Why are you talking about this? I had no idea. None. I had no idea at all. I'm going to look at all of these because I often, you know, I travel a lot. So I end up going into a lot of Orthodox churches, Catholic churches, all sorts of things all over Europe and Russia and the, the rest. Never put that together. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to steal your speech about um, Peter's redemption at the edge of the Sea of Galilee, and you can steal mine about sacred space. Boom. Done. Done. Good trade off there. That's a good, that's a good partnership. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking too, back to my first trip. Um, because I could not, I did not like Jerusalem. It was just so crowded, so, mm-hmm. so crowded. And walking the Via Della Rosa, um, we had an elderly lady on our trip, and she just, she had 
come to the end of the trip, she was done. And here we go walking down the Via Dolorosa and we are being pushed and prodded and pushed and, and it was just, it was a massive experience so much so that she just wanted to sit down in the middle of the Via Dolorosa. And she was like, I just don't think I can go on anymore. And, and so, and this was still at the beginning part of it. Um, and so Stefani and I got on either side of her and, and grabbed her arms and nearly carried her all the way uh, through the walk on the Via Dolorosa. And one of the, the, awe-inspiring moments is, you know, you go through the the stations of the cross as you walk down the Via Dolorosa. And one is where Jesus sees his mother and uh, starts to weep and Mary starts to weep. And we stopped there because we all needed a break. And Anne turns to Stefania and I and said, I just can't imagine seeing my boy walking down this road. Hmm. And she started crying. She said, can you, Ashley, what if it was Mackinson standing here in front of you, walking with a cross down this road, and you just wanted to reach out and grab him and hug him? It was this beautiful, beautiful moment of realizing that this was exactly how it would have been 2,000 years ago with the marketplaces come out onto the road with all of their baskets and and fruits and juices and everything for sale people walking because we were there at the same time as getting close to passover so the jerusalem was expanding with people and walking down this road now we didn't have 250 pounds of a of a crossbar on us but we were carrying a sweet little lady trying to make sure that mm-hmm. she got to walk this cobblestone street and it all just became so real and so personal of this was my Messiah who was also a human who also had a mother and mm-hmm. um, oh, just a beautiful, beautiful moment that I will never forget. So I remember that now, no matter what the crowds are, that these are, this is where Jesus was. These, this is much like it was then and try to bring those who are traveling with me into that same scenario of this is how it would have been then. Mm -hmm. makes the crowd seem a little less. You know, that just makes me think about how, on the one hand, I think it would be really interesting to go at some point, but by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But by going with a group of people, you experience things like that because you're you're drawn into the the deeply personal things that they are experiencing that if it was just me sort of silently taking all of this stuff in i mean that's one thing and there's there's value in that too but i'm so thankful that and there's 31 people in our group and so that's 31 different perspectives on every single thing that we're going to see that i'm looking forward to those times when we'll get to share about that and, and learning things from them that, you know, maybe I haven't seen or haven't dawned on me. I talked to our group as we were preparing. We had a meeting a few weeks ago and I talked to them about how I feel like there's sort of three sources of kind of information that we get that informs us about these places that we're going to visit. One is scripture, these stories that we've heard since we were children. Um, one is tradition you know, what has the church had to say about these places for all of this time? And what are the the things about our worship and church tradition that kind of inform how we understand these stories? And then archaeology, that's the third element that, you yeah. know, sometimes challenges what 
the, the scripture and tradition have said, but sometimes totally affirms what those two have said. And so I was talking about the balance between those three and how really it's different for each one of us. Like for some people, the most important one of those three things is going to be scripture and they could care less about tradition and about archaeology. They just want to see these Bible stories that they've you know read and memorized and imagined since they were children. There's other people who are going to be really interested in the the 2000 year long trajectory of this group of people called Christians and what that's meant in this place and then there's people like me who love a plot twist who when i find out that jesus was probably born in a cave not a barn i'm like oh wow tell me more um but for each one of us it's you know which one of those things weighs more is different and as comfortable as I am with sort of the balance that I've found in between those three things, I'm excited about the fact that I'm going to spend this week and a half with people whose balance is different from mine. And they mm-hmm. may be blown away by something that I would have totally missed if I didn't have this opportunity to be on this pilgrimage with a group of people. So I'm really, yeah. really looking forward to that. Yeah. Exactly. So we're going to see you guys in Galilee. Uh, We overlap for a couple of nights at the same kibbutz in Galilee. And then we're going to overlap for a couple of nights and stay in the same hotel in Jerusalem. So looking forward to to seeing you and and to seeing the other Global Mission partners and um, seeing how excited they're going to be about it. So I think it's really cool that, that even though we're doing separate trips this time, we're actually going to be there at the same time and, and sort of overlap, and it's going to be good. I can't wait. It's like we planned it that way. It's like we <laughs> planned it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited too. And what I hope that all of our listeners get today is that they get the excitement that we're having that as we go to Israel, and maybe it will spark something in them that will they will seek out a trip either with their church or maybe will, just maybe, we should have a broken banquet Holy Land trip. Okay. Twenty twenty five. Maybe so. Maybe so. Okay. Hmm. okay. Alrighty. You heard it here first. <laughs> Listeners, be prepared. Mark your calendar. <laughs> All right. Well, Will, I guess I'll see you in a couple of days. Yep. Great to talk to you, Ashley. Hope everybody gets as excited about this as we are. See you soon. You too. Bye, Will. Bye. You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come to the feast.